0: we mm-hmm. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here all by myself. And uh, not only has the Spooky crew abandoned me, but so has my voice as well. I don't think I've sounded this bad since the first, the very first uh, year of the show. As we just celebrated our 13th anniversary last week, it's only appropriate that I have the worst cold that I've had since that time and i don't i don't know if i'm going to be able to make it through the entire show tonight i have been fighting this all week long uh, i still had to work a couple of new shifts this week and uh, i fought my way through those and i seemed to be on the mend i thought i was getting better and then today i i didn't talk at all i just stayed home and i watched some of the uh some of the New program that we'll be discussing tonight on the show. And then I caught up with True Detective. I said, I'm just going to sit here and lay on the couch and rest up and get ready for the show. And sure enough, around six o'clock, I decided to finally open my mouth and speak. And I had no voice. Now, by this point, I knew that, you know, Stephanie Burke is away this weekend. Matt Moniz had texted me telling me he was not going to make it in, and Matt Costa said he was under the weather, and that he would direct the show from home. So by now, I've completely abandoned any shot I had at being able to cancel the show. I should have spoken earlier, but I didn't, so I guess we'll just fight through it together, and if it becomes annoying to the point where you can't listen to my voice anymore, well... My voice probably annoys you the rest of the time anyway, so hopefully you can fight your way through it. But if you're watching on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, you'll see when I'm on the screen. And then when we have our guests on the screen, you'll see them on the screen. So you know you only have to really listen to the parts where you see them. But this is definitely way worse than I expected my voice was going to be coming into the show. If I had known it was going to be this bad, I probably would have definitely canceled. But we have two very important guests tonight who are here to tell us about a new project that is coming out and a new campaign they have that's kicking off this week. So we couldn't not do the show. We could not not have our guests on to talk about this big new campaign. And how you can get involved with helping out the next great, Paranormal Documentary Project. Now, next week, we will also be talking about the X Filers Conference, which I don't know if you recall, but a few weeks ago, when we had Greg and Dana Newkirk on to talk about the new Hellier series, we mentioned briefly that they were going to be at this X Filers Conference. Well, this week, I was officially added to the lineup. Uh, Matt Moniz was already part of the lineup, but I was added this week, and I will be the MC for the entire weekend. So that will be happening at the end of April in Rhode Island. You can go to xfilersunite.com to find out more, but you definitely want to get on board for this because you get to hang pretty much with the whole spooky crew. I'm pretty sure that uh, Stephanie Burke's going to be involved as well. She's in discussions right now with them, so I don't want to jump the gun. But um, you'll be able to hang out with the whole spooky crew that weekend, as well as Greg and Dana and numerous fantastic guests, including some of the folks you've heard on the show in the past. Remember Mike the the owl guy? The guy who was talking to us about the connections between UFOs and owls? He will be part of the conference. Tom Reed, who you've heard talking about his family's UFO experience, and the monument they were trying to get erected, the, the, the memorial they were trying to get erected here in Massachusetts. He will be there. And numerous other names that you'll recognize from the show over the years. So we'll talk more about that next week. We're going to have Jamie and Val from the X-Files Unite conference on with us. And they will give us some more details next week. But in talking with them, I don't, I don't, I don't want to really... Uh, Give away too much information, but there's prices that are listed on the website to buy those tickets. I, I don't. All right. I, I, I'll say it just because, you know, we love our audience. We want to make sure they get a good deal. Those prices may change. So if you want to get in on it in a great deal, you can go buy your tickets now because the prices are really, really low for the great weekend that you will get. So. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up getting bumped up a little bit. So you want to go and get your tickets now while you can. So, um, like I said, we'll talk more about that next week. We'll also have next week Dr. Irina Scott, who I don't know very many people that have had above top secret clearance, but she's one of the few that I do know that has, and she'll join us next week to talk about not only UFOs in general, but to talk about her personal UFO experiences, including her first one, which happened in the Bridgewater Triangle. So stay tuned for that next Saturday night, but tonight we're going to talk monsters. Tonight we're going to be joined by probably our favorite guy to talk about monsters with, an old friend of the show, Seth Breedlove who you know from the Small Town Monsters film series. And we'll also be joined by Adam Dugan as well. They're going to talk with us about the new projects that they have coming out and how you can help get involved with them on those. So let's bring them on now. Good evening, Seth and Adam. How are you?
1: Good. How are you, how are you man? I am so sorry to hear uh, about this cold. Now I feel like I'm going to have to um, just talk to keep you from, from destroying your voice.
0: That's that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping you guys can just carry the show, because I know that you will, uh, <laughs> with great information. So that is our goal. I'm just going to jump in to now watch. and then when I feel like I need to uh, move things along. But basically, just from watching, I, I only got through the first four episodes mm-hmm. uh, of, of On the Trail of Bigfoot, but oh my gosh, this is... For all the work that you've done, Seth, you found a way to to kind of personalize this and show the audience what it what it really means for you to be researching these topics.
1: Yeah, and I mean if if you if you made it through four um that's still like close to 2 hours of of content but you also missed out on five, which five is like the biggest sort of moment in the entire series I think from a personal standpoint and that was the episode that Adam and I actually Kind of got to experience everything together. So, um, so yeah, the, the series was filmed, uh, and the series is called On the Trail of Bigfoot. Uh, it's a six episode mini series that's close to three hours long, probably like 10 minutes under three hours long. Um, and, and it was shot, uh, over the course of, of 2018. Um, and I kind of went into it, uh, with the intention of making it a solo, Uh, sort of filmmaking experiment, um, in 20, in 2017, we released, well, I guess in 2018, we released, but in 2017, um, our first On the Trail of miniseries went into production, and and that series was called, um, On the Trail of Champ. So in, in 2018, I set out to kind of do what Alexander Petikov had done with On the Trail of Champ, and with On the Trail of Champ, he had originally, Alexander, had gone out with the intention of making that series with a full crew. Um, he was supposed to have like four or five guys with him and, and sort of at the last minute, all of the people he was supposed to go film with backed out uh, due to one reason or another. And he ended up making the entire mini series by himself. Um, so I just thought that was a really cool, <laughs> cool sort of way of approaching you know, such a huge project. And I thought it would be interesting to attempt something similar myself. And, you know, like we, the way Small Town Monsters operates now is we, we have a full crew, you know, it's, it's anywhere from four to seven to eight guys go out when we, when we make a movie and, and there's a fully functioning crew and um it's great. But, but very early on when this all started, it was very, very common for there to only be like one or two of us together when we were filming. And, um, I, I definitely prefer the full crew, but I kind of miss those early like guerrilla filmmaking days. And so, um, so this was like kind of an opportunity to go back to that early, you know, the, the total indie run and gun style that started with. Um, so, so that was the whole intention of, of doing on the trail of was not just to tell the history of the subject of Bigfoot, but also to, to kind of get to dive into it, um, head first by myself and, and tell the story, um, on my own. So that's, that's kind of what I set out to do. And, um, you know, like along the way I got to take Adam and, And uh, my friend Shannon Legro and and some other friends that that have been associated with STM over the year, but the over the years, but hadn't made it into any of our projects. And and then at the like at the end of the day, it's it's probably the most personal thing I've done. I mean, like you said, it's it's my sort of personal look at the Bigfoot phenomenon, and it's my. Um, there, there actually was, I mean, it was totally unintentional, but there actually was sort of a change in my personal, um, opinion of the subject that, you know, from, from sort of the beginning of the year when I started filming, um, to the end of the year when I, when I wrapped production on this and Adam was along for, for some of that. So, um, but yeah, it was a, it was an intense project, and it was uh, it was made dur- over the entire course of twenty eighteen, and filmed in like 14, 14 15 different states, twenty one different interviews, uh, multiple hours in the woods, uh, you know, just just coast to coast. It was it was a real uh, adventure. It was it was almost like a filmmaking adventure course or something. It was crazy.
0: Did did it Did you find it hard for you to be able to put yourself into the story, having been a documentarian for so long and, and having to remove any of your own beliefs and biases and, you know, just kind of letting the subjects tell their own story. Was it hard for you to, to be able to personalize this and to, to put yourself into it?
1: I I hated it. (laughs) Like,
0: like, uh, I,
1: I kept myself out of, I keep myself out of all STM movies and I really have no intention of, you know, going forward and, and, intruding into the stories we tell but with this one um you know the the approach was for it to be a personal project and i was supposed to narrate it in the first person and all that but i had no intention of filming myself um and including myself on camera um mostly because i'm the one that had to edit it and I, and i hated the idea of staring at my face every day um while i was editing it so i i managed to to sort of keep myself removed from the series all the way through, um, editing. I mean, I, there's actually a very early cut of episode one where I, I wasn't even in the episode. So we, I'd managed to, to keep myself out of it until sort of I got to the point where I watched those early cuts, um, of the early episodes and I realized that by including myself, it not only personalized it a little more, but it also gave a very, um, I, I guess, con, almost like a convenient way of telling this massive story where we could jump around a little bit more and and sort of smooth out those transitions in a way that we probably wouldn't have been able to if I was simply narrating it. Um, you know, because the jump from like episode Two, which is focused on the West Coast and and all about the history, that early history of the Bigfoot subject. To episode three, which opens in in Minerva, Ohio, um, that was kind of a, a weird jump to make. So you know, to, to have episode three open with me talking to Barbara Galloway, who was involved in the Minerva Monster case, and and that opens it up, you know, to the whole East Coast Bigfoot subject. That that kind of thing just made sense and, and I felt like um, I felt like at the end of the day like I was I was happy having been able to tell a personal story um, I just don't know that I have too much of a desire to do that sort of thing again uh, but it, it did it did seem to work okay for for this series
0: and and Adam was it was it hard for you to watch Seth trying to for what you were around for to see him put himself through that to have to put himself on camera or were you kind of reveling in the fact that you know now he gets the the camera turned on him for a change
2: yeah yeah no I think that uh I think it's really interesting because I think it is a it's an uh a natural however uncomfortable uh step for Seth to take I mean he spent the last several years with SDM, you know uh, allowing other people to tell their stories and inevitably during that time you're going to accumulate stories and ideas and kind of thoughts of your own and opinions uh, and things like that. And I think, like I said, it, it may be uncomfortable for him to do it, but I do think it, it's good um, because he's um, just having been friends with Seth now for a while and now being involved in STM a little bit more. Um, he's a curious person anyway, and he enjoys this. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's,
1: a, he's a really weird he's person. Really, he's really, he's really,
2: he's very strange. Um, but he, like, he he enjoys these 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 stories and i think it, it was really it was a really cool thing to see seth begin to explore kind of his own story and his own journey throughout this and kind of look for answers on his own because he spent so much time allowing other people to kind of tell their stories so that was that was really interesting and it was i did get some kind of sick pleasure out of seeing seth try to uh uh try to put himself on camera and and, and play a bit of a different role in the in the storytelling itself
0: well that's what i think is a. Uh... You know, it's it's a very hard thing for anybody really to have to look at... I'm certainly not going to listen to myself back on this episode. I'll just fast forward through my talking and just listen to you guys when I review it. But it's hard for anybody, you know, like in radio to go back and listen to themselves. And I'm sure it's hard for anybody in a visual media to go back and watch themselves. So it's it's just an uncomfortable thing to kind of have to not only know that you're going to go through that but also to be the main story driver like that's that's kind of the the real challenge there is to be able to take yourself far enough back Seth from what you've already learned about Bigfoot in your other projects and in your own research and to say we need to start at the beginning and I need to be the I need to be the avatar for the audience in that journey from the very start so
1: yeah and and just just to jump off that like the the balance of the balance for me was like I I was okay with having myself be sort of the, the the I guess device that's driving the story forward. I wasn't okay with, and I and I never will be okay with using myself as like the focal point of it. So I don't I don't think the the focus of this was never supposed to be Seth Breedlove's you know, the, the focus was the subject and then I'm, I'm pretty much just there as another character and as the, you know, the storytelling device that, that we could use to, to jump between, you know, 21 different interviews, 14 different locations and, and all these unique story threads. And, and one thing, you know, that I do think is funny is like, I'm, I'm in every single episode on camera in some capacity, except for episode five. And, um, episode five is called area X. And in, in that episode, um, Adam and I actually went to the, to the Watchtower mountains in Oklahoma together. And while we were there, we had some strange experiences that kind of like moved my level of skepticism from, from where I was at when we started to a, a place of being, you know, somewhat accepting of the fact that maybe these, these creatures are actually out there. Um, and, and that episode, which is in- intensely personal, like a very, very personal episode, um, is the one episode in the entire sort of six episode miniseries that I'm never actually on camera in. And, you know, the, the main reason was that when we set out, when I set out to make the miniseries, it was not with the intention of putting myself on camera. So all the way back in June when we had, when I had shot this, um, I just had no intention of being on camera, so there 's literally there isn 't one minute of footage anywhere of me actually in area x so the whole the whole episode is focused on the group that we were in area x with but it 's you know it 's told through a way that you know it 's it 's pretty clear i mean from the first person uh you know narration that 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 event that we experienced in X was was one of the, the sort of defining moments of, of my year.
0: Well, you know, as much as you say that you didn't want to be on camera all that much, you do put some of the uh, great people who are out doing the research and doing the investigative work into Bigfoot on camera throughout the course of the series. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, Shannon Legro is uh, on there, and uh, you'll see – other folks who have been on the show in the past, Lauren Coleman, Don Keating, Stan Gordon. I mean, this is really like a who's who of people that have been researching this over the past, you know, 40 plus years.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, there were, there was like a very conscious sort of uh, effort to make um, to, to get people in the series that might not just be sort of a, a big name personality in the field or anything, but also people who I consider sort of um not experts but but very well versed in their particular area of of research or investigation. So, you know, um I had opportunities to interview quote unquote Bigfoot celebs um over the past year and I just never really jumped at that particular um, opportunity. I went with the people that I thought, you know, would would speak very well about the the subject that I knew I was going to be exploring uh, within the series. So, like, Lauren Coleman's a natural because he's so well versed in the history of of cryptozoology. So, you know, you've got Lauren Coleman to sort of walk you through. Tom Slick and the evolution of the Bigfoot subject and the early wild man newspaper reports and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I got to interview Mark Marcel. I was out on the West coast about the ape Canyon incident. Um, And, and Stan Gordon is there to walk us through the, the paranormal and the UFO slash high strangeness Bigfoot stuff that happened during the seventies. And so every single person that we interviewed or that I interviewed was there um, you know, for a very specific reason. And they were there because I, I like and respect them um, as much as people as like, you know, a Bigfoot researcher. I mean, these are all people that I've, I know or knew before I started filming this in some capacity, other than Mark Marcel, who I'd only, you know, spoken briefly with through, through like Facebook Messenger. So, um, and I, and I think you come away from it too. I mean, Adam can maybe speak to this, but I think you come away with it from it the entire series with sort of a um, a, a knowledge of all all the different types of of researchers and personalities that inhabit the field. Like, there's there's there, I mean, obviously, there's only twenty one people, so you can't be um, you know you you can't exactly. Say that it's it's perfect in explaining how everyone is, but but it's definitely a, a a very disparate sort of group of people, and I think it it does do a good job of acting as an example of how how um, unique and and different all the different aspects of the field and, and the researchers are from each other. Um, and then you have Shannon and and Adam in there, you know, adding a little bit of personality as well. So um, hopefully hopefully too, you know, like a big thing for me, I'm from Ohio and Don Keating is someone that I was very aware of from a, from a young age. And I think anymore, you know, he's, he's kind of dropped out of the research aspect of Bigfoot now. Um, and I'm, I'm a little concerned that people will either be completely unaware of him or, or forget about his research. So, um, I thought it was cool to actually have Don in there you know again and and kind of put him in front of a camera, so for some people that 's going to be their their first time getting to know Don um, and and I really want this to act as an introduction for some people to to folks like don keating or or Mark Marcel who you know don 't necessarily make it into all the t v shows that that some of the other researchers out there do
0: and I think that the t v shows that are out there now are kind of what this Younger generation is basing a lot of their knowledge of Bigfoot on is these shows that they're seeing on television now or over the last, you know, five years or so. I mean, Adam, you're a younger guy, but to see somebody who, you know, we consider to be a legend like Lauren Coleman be part of this, but then he also gets to say something like, well, Ivan Sanderson told me. And then you have a direct link even back to another generation. I mean, this is the way to kind of, when you're telling the history, of these bigfoot sightings, this is the way to kind of bring it all together to say, not only are we giving you the people who influenced us, but they can even reach back to the people that influenced them, and you can realize this has been a long ongoing process of trying to determine exactly what these creatures are
1: yeah, I think it's it's really the the miniseries covers you know the the better part of of the last century. Um, and it even ended the to the nineteenth century as well obviously with with the wild man reports and all that that kind of stuff but i mean from from the very beginning, it was intended to be an introduction to Bigfoot um, in every way possible. so if someone has a mild interest in this subject but knew nothing about it, um, you know they can sit down and watch on the trail of Bigfoot and they might have a knowledge now of why not not just like a knowledge of the history of it and and the the cool stories or whatever, but also have an an understanding of why people like lauren coleman or or even myself are interested in it to begin with um because i I really think that that for the most part um you know like if you if you just are a casual observer from the outside of like the paranormal or a casual observer or not even a casual, observer. if you're just aware of Bigfoot as a pop cultural icon or, you know, this figure that makes it onto the local news sometimes, you might not understand why there are people that actively look for Bigfoot, and it kind of becomes this joke to everyone. But um, I, I genuinely hope that people watch On the Trail of Bigfoot and come away from it, you know, with an understanding of why um why there is such an interest in it and why people do spend so much time and put so much effort into researching and, and, investigating, you know, the subject to begin with. Um, and you know, and a lot of that has to do with people like Lauren Coleman and Stan Gordon and, and their impact on, on a lot of, on a new generation, you know, that have actually gone into looking into this. I mean, you can't, you can't really say enough about lauren holman's impact impact on cryptozoology as a whole because of the the number of books you know he's written and and things that he's done and said that have introduced people to these concepts and maybe inducted them into the paranormal to begin with
0: well Seth, you know this to be true and uh, and I know this to be true. it's the beards having beards yeah. always makes you seem more authoritarian about what you're talking about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's true. You you have to you have to have one. I'm actually forcing Adam to grow one right now.
0: You get you to, you know the 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 more bushier and, and fuller your beard can be, the more sage you look. So mm-hmm. it's uh, I like it's, it. it's a good trick. Um, yeah. So Adam, why don't you? I mean, this is the first time that we've had you on the show. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your background and how you got involved in this, and also how you uh, how you hooked up with Seth?
2: Yeah. It, um so, more or less, um, my dad uh, kind of fed my interest in in kind of all things. i guess I, I probably started out more interested in the, in the whole paranormal side of things and the ghosts and all that and all that good stuff um, and that definitely came from my dad um, uh, He grew up reading about and wondering about and trying to explore whatever he could uh, in regards to you know everything from ufos to to ghosts to cryptids and uh he uh he even still remembers he he told me a few days ago we were talking about all of this and he still remembers the first book that he that he read on this on the subject and reading the the osman story and just thinking that was the most amazing thing ever and so he just instilled that in me i think from a, from a young age and so i carried that on um as i got older and you know, did a lot of research and self-study and things like that and just was very much an armchair kind of uh, thinker. Not, You know, not, I hesitate to even use the word researcher necessarily um, and uh, began to take it a bit more seriously and, and started writing on a website called Search the Woods. That was my site and it was just my my thoughts and more or less frustration <laughs> uh, regarding the kind of Bigfoot subject and how maybe it wasn't taken as seriously as it could potentially be taken. Um, and I think kind of going back to what you guys were talking about a minute ago, that uh, for better or worse, my generation and, and generations certainly after, after mine, um, the exposure to Bigfoot has very much been just a, a pop culture icon. It's been, you know, um, uh, you know, animal planet shows and discovery channel shows and things that um, kind of ebb and flow in popularity, you know, depending on the time of year or a recent sighting or or, or whatever else. Um, but there's so much more to the subject, and I think that's kind of where I was trying to go as well. And then I, it was a, it was a um, small town monsters and Seth and what he was doing. I thought was a, was really cool because it was something that I that I had hoped would be done sometime <laughs> a while um, you know sometime in the near future uh, and he kind of took on that and then i think i reached out randomly to Seth on facebook one day we so you know, seth is in ohio i, I live in uh, southeastern tennessee and uh, we just kind of connected there and started started talking about things and you know had a lot of stuff in common and and have become real world friends which i think is is crazy that people you know i think sometimes people forget that there's more than just what's on your computer screen um, and you can you can make real connections and have real friends and that kind of stuff and then uh from there he, uh Seth was kind enough to kind of give me an opportunity to tag along on some um, some adventures over the past over the past couple of years and then uh most recently come on um, at working with uh his wife Adrienne, as a producer on uh One of the projects I'm sure we'll talk about later this year, Momo, the Missouri Monster. So, kind of my that's more or less a very high overview of my progression, I guess, in in the subject.
0: Well, you mentioned coming into this from a uh, a background in all different types of paranormal research, and not all Bigfoot researchers get to that point. You know, many of them actually take offense in referring to cryptozoology as a paranormal pursuit. Uh, because they feel like there is something that's actually very, um, just based in reality and that we really just don't understand what's going on yet. Did you come into this with any of these theories of kind of the alternate explanations for Bigfoot that it's more than just a, f- a flesh and blood creature or were you able, or did you have that kind of uh, thought process going into it?
2: No, I think, uh, I think that, um, I am very much kind of in the the flesh and blood camp probably to a fault. Um I'm trying to get better about thinking outside the box, but I haven't really gotten there yet. Um I uh I think my kind of interest in the paranormal to kick everything off actually probably skewed me a bit more towards um the idea of Bigfoot being a a flesh and blood creature, you know, a, an ape more or less just undiscovered. Um I tend to be. I tend to be probably more along the lines of what you just referenced. I tend to be. I tend to push back a little bit against the uh, the paranormal side of things when it comes to when it comes to Bigfoot. Now, that, I am also um, very very open to the idea of there being paranormal things. Um, uh, I certainly believe in um, demons and spirits and things like that. Um, just personally, coming from a, a Christian perspective, like I do think that those things exist. Um, I just don't necessarily think that um, Bigfoot falls in that in that camp. Um, I think it's pretty fascinating enough to think that there's a 800-pound undiscovered North American primate walking walking around. I don't necessarily feel the need to ascribe anything paranormal to it, um, but I certainly won't won't um, uh, not listen to someone's argument because because that's what they believe i think everybody deserves to have their own opinions and um and then i think if you're willing to share those opinions you should also be willing to allow others to question them and have reasonable discourse about them um i think that's i think that's how we get places in any subject in any field but specifically something as inherently controversial as as bigfoot you know
0: and and seth you've never shied away from you know discussing those aspects of bigfoot but in on the trail of bigfoot you actually do a uh kind of a step back and explain to people exactly why those theories have come up. It's not just a matter of because we can't explain it, we must ascribe a paranormal explanation to it, just as an easy out, although you do kind of explore that possibility in some cases too, but you go back and you share some of these cases where there are the real connections to high strangeness with Bigfoot sightings.
1: Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going to do a brief and here's the thing, like I've showed this to, to a number, I've showed the miniseries to a number of people and I've actually already received some pushback from, from some people about the fact that I included, you know, some of the, the weirder aspects of the phenomena. But the fact is like, I'm, I'm kind of in the same, you know, camp as Adam. Like personally, I, I believe it's an undiscovered ape, but you know, like he said, I'm I I don't discount you know what people claim their experience to be and I don't discount other people's opinions or theories and for me if you're going to do an overview of the bigfoot subject you can't just leave out the you know the high strangeness cases and some of the weirder aspects of the phenomena because you don't necessarily believe that is you know the the root cause of bigfoot you can't just ignore that stuff because it is a part of the history uh and there are those weird cases even though they're they are few and far between there are weird cases and and they have a place in the history of the subject and um to ignore ignore that you know the chestnut ridge area and and some of the weirder stories that have come out of there would be a disservice to the subject um you know regardless of what my own personal opinions are you know it's yeah. it's it's always it's always been for me and shannon actually said this during her interview and i'm not even sure that it made it into the final cut but shannon refers to herself as a collector of stories um you know more so than like an expert or or even a, an enthusiast and i'd actually kind of consider myself in the same boat as shannon like i think i'm a, i'm a collector of stories and um, you know, I'm also a bit of a historian of the strange, apparently, uh, and a documentarian of that. And, and so, and I mean, you get this Tim, cause like you're, you're really a reporter and a journalist too. So like, you know, like that's our, our job. It's not really to interject ourselves into these, into these things, which is funny cause I have interjected myself into the story, but I, I, you know, like at the end of the day, I'm still letting the people that are walking us through this history do the do the real bulk of the storytelling, and um, you know, Stan Gordon is going to tell us a really fascinating story about Bigfoots uh, and UFOs. I'm not going to to shut him off just because personally I, I don't you know b- believe that's the root cause. For yeah, I think
2: that's a, I think that's a really good point. Like, I think uh, if you're going to tell the if you're going to tell the stories, if you're going to really dive into the subject whatever your personal beliefs may be, I think it's kind of intellectually dishonest to just disregard those other stories because, the, you know, whether you like it or not, high strangeness is a part of Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it may it may come more often and be more prominent in some stories than others, but you, you can't ignore it. I, I mean, you have to explore those ideas. And, I, and I, like I said earlier, I think having discussions about them whatever side you're coming from is a, is a positive thing and you just can't disregard them just because they don't line up with your personal beliefs that's that's that would be doing everyone a disservice and I, like I, I think that would be kind of uh just being intellectually negligent i guess
1: yeah and and those stories are really cool yeah <laughs> like, no, they're, and like, they're
2: they're really interesting I and mean, i don't like, care what you think like yeah, they're 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 fascinating to listen to yeah they're super cool <laughs>
0: Right. Well, and here's the thing, too. One of you guys or or Lyle Blackburn or Cliff Barrackman, one of you guys could come out of the woods one day with an actual flesh and blood creature and prove to everybody that, yes, look, here, here's Bigfoot. It's an ape. We found it. But that doesn't mean that all these other things that happened around these Bigfoot sightings didn't happen either.
1: Right. It doesn't exactly. mean that people yeah, didn't there, see UFOs or,
0: or have other strange experiences that you know the dimensional portals that might be a little bit of a, a harder one to explain but it doesn't mean that they didn't happen
1: yeah no I mean and 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 it's like it is one of the fascinating things that that episode four which would that's the final episode you watched like you know I mean Eric says like the longer you're in this You know, and I don't think this is a blanket statement necessarily that Eric's making for all researchers, but the longer he's been in it, um, you know, the, the, the further away from the, the flesh and blood camp he's gotten because of the, the number of weird Bigfoot cases that he takes. And I think a large part of that though, I mean, you can't, you can't ignore the fact that he's also in that Chestnut Ridge area of Pennsylvania, um, I don't know what it is about that place, but there are so many weird stories that come out of there and so many strange things that are reported. Stan Gordon sends me emails on an almost weekly basis where he he's just, like, telling me the latest bizarre things, you know, the the, the latest bizarre cases he's he's been taking. And um, it seems like, you know, like, the number of just standard Bigfoot reports – that Stan gets is actually uh, smaller anymore than like the high strangeness stuff. Um, it's, it's a, it's a really weird place. And I think that probably has an impact on, you know, the researchers that are, that are actually in, in that area, like, like Eric.
0: So how can people see on the trail of Bigfoot when it comes out in March? Uh,
1: it comes out March 29th. It'll be available on Vimeo on demand. Uh, Viddy space, amazon and on dvd through shop.smalltownmonsters.com and um it's gonna play a couple smaller screenings as well but i'm not doing too many big screen screenings for this one because it's it's episodic and it's kind of meant to be seen you know as as the entire six episode miniseries
0: will it be released all at once or so people can binge watch it or will it
1: be yeah yeah, yeah it'll, all all six episodes will come out on the 29th, um, and on Amazon, it's it's condensed into two films. It's still all six episodes, but they're cut into story arcs. So the first story arc is The Legend, and that will be movie number one, and that's episodes one through three. And then movie number two is called The Search, and that's episodes four through six. It's the same content, it's just all the episodes are kind of edited together into a film.
0: And I I do like the, the story arc approach, too, because, like, you do get a lot of that history ahead of time. And I think there's a lot of people, even that listen to this show, that don't know how deep the history is of some of these sightings and how just how varied they are, too, for as much as we hear the similarities in the descriptions and we can say it seems like people are seeing these same creatures no matter where they are there's so many different circumstances around it so many different kinds of people and i think a lot of folks are probably going to be most taken back by the fact that most of these sightings are happening during the day
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's a really common common report and yeah for me for me the i couldn't i couldn't approach the subject without spending at least an episode on those historical reports so like you know, the first episode is all about the wild man and ape reports. Um, you know, the, the, um, Ape Canyon incident and Albert Ostman. And it, it's uh, those first three episodes are your history of the subject. So that that walks you through pretty much everything, um, or at least all the major incidents from, from the early, the earliest reports of what we might term as Bigfoot up till, you know, present day and then episodes four through Six are kind of walking you through, um, you know, the research and some of the various theories about about what Bigfoot might actually be. But yeah, those that that first episode is so geared around those early historical reports because that's actually what got me into the subject and what made me consider the, you know, the validity of of something like Bigfoot actually existing. Because if we have if we have these newspaper reports of of wild man and apes that sound, you know, very similar to what we term as Bigfoot today, then, you know, maybe that is cause for us to believe that there's something to it.
0: And I I don't want to say that you glossed over it, but you really did not spend a lot of time um, on it. in at least in what I saw in the episodes that I saw, but the Patterson Gimlin film didn't really play that much into the storytelling of that history. Was it, was that a conscious decision or
1: uh, it, it was a conscious decision in that I didn't have the money to license the footage. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's
0: what I think um, it might be the
1: case. So, like that's it, it's it's mentioned super briefly, but it's one of those things where, like, we were looking at uh, you know a licensing fee that would have basically tripled my budget, um, and I just you know it was, it was beyond my ability to go into it. If I if I can do like an on the trail of Bigfoot two, um, I would certainly spend a little bit more time on the Patterson Gimlin film, I don't discount like the importance of that piece of history. Uh, And that's why, you know, it does get mentioned. I think it's in there for like 45, 50 seconds, but, you know, and the other thing is that there, there has been, you know, countless hours of film and television devoted to that particular piece of Bigfoot history. So, you know, I couldn't afford it. And, uh, and hopefully people will will go watch another documentary that actually gets into that one after they watch this one if they they want to learn about the Patterson Gimlin film because it is it is a very important piece of the bigfoot puzzle.
0: It is, but I mean it's not it's not like the series doesn't suffer from not really going any more in depth into it either because I think most people have an even if you only have a rudimentary understanding of, of bigfoot you know that clip. You know, anybody yeah. that is, has ever heard bigfoot that's what pops into their head.
2: I think too. I think that what on the trail of does uh, on the trail of Bigfoot. I think it provides context. You know, if if someone if someone watches this series uh, and this is their introduction to the subject, they're going to have a much better understanding when they do see the Patterson-Gimlin film as to the importance that it that it plays in the history of this subject. You know, I think a lot of people like you like like you both mentioned if they know anything about Bigfoot they probably have seen kind of that iconic um, clip of patty walking across the creek bed and and turning slowly back towards the camera arms swinging you know and and walking off i think that uh i I think that I think that main the the mainstream in you know in air quotes um, the mainstream Bigfoot community at least has got that clip covered and there's if it's on the trail of Bigfoot does anything is it expands so much into the other areas that just probably the casual observer um, hasn't seen or heard of. And it's going to give them, like I said, more context for the Patterson Gimlin film. I have, and, and I've mentioned it a few times to, to several people. I think that this particular series, you know, I know I have had friends and acquaintances and, you know, people online and whatever come up and say, well, isn't there just one Bigfoot or, uh, that's ridiculous. Why would you even explore the possibility of that? We all know that that's just a just a legend. It's just folklore. It's just whatever. I feel like on the trail of is this thing where you can say, hey, here's where you can go watch. You know, pretty much three hours of why I think this is something uh, legitimately worth your time to look at. Almost like in like a just handing somebody a card and saying, hey, read this, and you're going to at least understand why. Um, this should give you pause, you know, and then you can take the Patterson-Gimlin film and, and, and then you can apply what you've learned in this particular series and look at that film and figure out where it fits in. So, I, I, like you said, I don't think it, I don't think it loses anything by not having it. I think it actually probably makes it easier to understand what you're looking at when you do see the Patterson-Gimlin film.
0: And, Adam, you mentioned it there briefly, but uh, I couldn't believe it when I heard it. Uh, in, in the course of one of the episodes but there really are people that think that there's just one Bigfoot even now all these years later they think it's one single creature that's popping up in all these different places right
2: right it, it's, it's amazing we're so within the Bigfoot community we you know we I think a lot of times we don't uh, kind of poke our head out into the rest of the world and, and see you know we assume hey everybody everybody knows that they're like this is this is widespread. Everybody knows that the Patterson-Gimlin film is just one tiny, uh, you know, kind of uh, moment in Bigfoot history. And there's so much more to the subject. But I mean, outside of our little bubble, you know, our little, our our little niche within a niche within a within a small subset of a small subset, you know, that there are um, outside of that, there are people that just. Um, are completely and totally kind of just naive to the subject as a whole, but it, but it is interesting sitting on the inside, looking out, and being like, "How do you not? How do you not know that?" Yeah, because
1: well, we've all been we've been reading the books, and we've been watching the documentaries, and and all that stuff for years. But for a casual, you know, observer, someone on the outskirts, this is a subject that is like uh, studying a leprechaun or something. <laughs> I mean, that's that's really, really that to, a, to a lot of people, that's all it is. And so, you know, like with with that, armed with that knowledge, I mean, that's why that is the person that we made the mini series for. Maybe not the whole mini series, but especially those first two episodes to say, like, look, this is this isn't that. First of all, this isn't something with no historical uh, value. This has been going on much longer than nineteen the nineteen fifties when Jerry Crew found the tracks, and also. Um, it's much wider spread than you might realize, and and one of the reasons it's so fascinating is because the it, it isn't just that people are seeing a, a similar creature around the country and, and even around the world, it's that they're seeing a similar creature that behaves in a similar fashion um, repeatedly in, in 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 multiple reports. You know, like that those beha- that's what that first episode i keep harping on like the behavioral characteristics that i find so interesting how, how people will will echo you know the same type of of you know behavioral characteristics that they note in their bigfoot sighting um, and those behavioral characteristics don't just stop you know at a certain point in history they they've been carrying on since the the 1860s and and probably before that too but I think that's why it's such a a fascinating thing to look into and and such a fascinating subject. And I believe like the bulk of people would, would find this particular topic fascinating if they knew these things. You know, obviously I can't, I can't state that definitively, but I think the bulk of people, like the majority of people, if they know about all of this, they're going to feel the same way about you know about the subject that that most of us do. Like they're gonna they're gonna see those really interesting uh, facts and and some sub- topics of it, and they're gonna want to dive into it like we did. And, and I'm not, and we made it too. The other thing I mean to point out is we didn't make this from like a point of um, we're going to convince you Bigfoot's real. Like that's never that's never really brought up in the mini series. We're not trying to convince you of anything. We're not trying to show you footage. Or sounds and say, "Look, this is proof." Um, there's never a point where that happens. This is simply laying out for you everything that's out there um, that we had, you know, the time to, to put on screen and saying, "This is the history of the subject up through present day." Don't you? Uh, don't you? Doesn't it make you want to figure it out for yourself?
0: And I think that it definitely does. Uh One of the fascinating aspects is that uh Seth, you thought the same thing I did when you were younger and when I was younger, the Bigfoot only happened in the Pacific Northwest, and really? then much like you found out that it happened in your backyard, I found out that it happened in my backyard and uh and ever since then, I've been afraid to go in the woods alone so I'm not yeah, just yeah
1: in in your your backyard is like Bridgewater Triangle and some of those really weird <laughs> New England areas where the the Bigfoot reports can get super creepy. Um, so so yeah. That I mean that's that's the when I when I actually heard for the first time that there were reports on the outskirts of Bolivar, Ohio. That blew my mind because um, for one thing, I I spent massive amounts of time out in the woods because I grew up in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing else to do except you know drive back roads as a, as a teenager or when you're real little. You know, hike around on foot or ride your bike everywhere. I mean, I had, I had actually ridden my bike up and down some of the roads where I later found out that those sightings were taking place in the seventies and up through the early two thousands. Um, so that, you know, that, that was, that was a very surprising thing to learn for me. And then, and then to actually discover that there were Bigfoot reports in Ohio going back to 1869, um, you know, the Gallup police ape, um, report like that's that that was shocking to a to me when i was first getting into this
0: well we'll talk more about that coming up in the next hour we'll also talk about the kickstarter campaign that you can get involved in and we'll talk about the new projects including momo and terror in the sky so stay tuned for more spooky south coast as we continue the discussion with our guests adam dugan and seth preedlove from small town monsters coming right up
1: are you intrigued by paranormal talk radio You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange
2: phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now
0: and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, the Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. Flying solo. There is no uh, science advisor Matt Moniz, no silent assassin Matt Costa, no psychic medium Stephanie Burke. They are all out tonight. But uh, Matt Costa is here in spirit because he's directing Spooky TV from home. He's under the weather. I'm under the weather. But that's okay. I actually feel the best that I felt all week. Like the cold is subsiding. The sore throat is just about over. The cough is not nearly as bad as it was. There's no more runny nose. Not that you wanted to know that part. But uh this is just what's been left of my voice. And as I mentioned uh, at the start of the show, it's been a while since I've had no voice. I used to go through this every year where every winter I would get sick and I would lose my voice for like a week. And it happened the first year of Spooky South Coast. And then we were lucky enough that for the next 12 years, it didn't happen. But now, lucky number 13, it comes back with a vengeance. But I still don't think it's as bad as that uh, Heidi Hollis episode in the first year of the show where I couldn't even spit out words. I was like, hi, welcome to Spooky South Coast. And I don't know why anybody listened to it, but it was quite a popular episode. Probably because Heidi was such a great guest. And we have great guests tonight as well. We have, joining us on the phone, from Small Town Monsters, we have Seth Breedlove and we have Adam Dugan. They're talking with us about, in the first hour we were talking about the new series that's coming out on the trail of Bigfoot. And now we're going to be switching gears and talking about some other new projects that are in the works and also how you can be part of those new projects and how you can get involved and help fund these projects. And Seth, something that I know that... um a lot of people who are fans of small town monsters love getting to be involved in the filmmaking process and and helping to fund the creation of some of these documentaries.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the kickstarters have been a part of this since, um, since actually 2015 when we released, uh, the Minerva monster documentary. Um, we, we ran a kickstarter that first year simply because our budget on that movie was like $200 i mean we we shot it with the cameras we had and and we really did not have any money um but we wanted to be able to put uh dvds of the the movie on you know out and so we actually ran a kickstarter just to fund production of dvds and uh the kickstarter uh we had asked for five hundred dollars and it made like sixty five hundred so that that was actually the beginning of where we turned to started turning to crowdfunding um at the beginning of each year um to fund the production of everything we put out throughout the course of the year so this year our kickstarter is going to fund um on the trail of Bigfoot, that'll be obviously funding the complete, like, distribution and, and things like that since the series is already done. But the, uh, other thing it'll be funding is Terror in the Skies, which is our Illinois, um, winged cryptid documentary that'll be out in June. And, um, it'll also fund Momo, the Missouri monster. But, um, yeah, the, the Kickstarters, we try to run Kickstarters the way that I would want to, to back one because I actually, Back a, a few Kickstarters each year. Um, mostly, I'm a huge like indie comic book fan, so I end up like backing a ton of like comic book or, um, Kickstarters and, uh, occasionally movie ones as well. But we try to run, run them the same way we would, you know, want to back them, and that is that we load them with like a ton of really cool rewards, and so people are hopefully getting. Uh, an equal or greater value than they would if they just bought stuff like off our web store. Um, and we also offer things you wouldn't, you know, like non-physical rewards like uh, credits and in, in the uh, like your name in the credits of the film and uh, stickers and digital copies of the movie and production diaries that you can't get unless you back the Kickstarter and all kinds of stuff that, you know, hopefully makes it feel like people aren't just like, donating to us or, or, you know, taking part in a GoFundMe, but rather that they're, they're getting something in return for what they're giving. Um, and I think people, I, at this point, like, for a lot of the SDM supporters, like the people that support SDM each year, uh, I think this is one of the biggest, like, events that we put on during the year. For some people, it's as big as the actual release of the movie. Like, I think people, get excited to take part in the Kickstarter and to see how how much we can actually manage to raise each year to throw back into the films. And, and anyone that's watching Small Town Monsters over the last uh, four years, you know, would probably back me up on this. But I think every year you can see that the production value goes up, um, just like, you know, the Kickstarters tend to make more every year than they did the year before. And we turn around and put all of that into... The productions we're making so um you know our i think every year we try to get better at not just um things like special effects and and you know the bells and whistles but also make sure that we're getting better at storytelling and telling stories better and you know hopefully people that back are able to see their their money actually show up in the films themselves
0: well but not only that but they get to feel like they're you know they're part of the they're part of the process of this. They're part of, you know, telling these stories and keeping these legends alive. And like you said, you always find a way to give them kind of cool rewards, whether it be physical or non-physical things. But I'm sure everybody goes crazy for the, the great artwork that's associated with every one of these productions and having that hanging on their wall. And, you know, people really love just the uh, just the tone and they love the, the style that Small Town Monsters has brought to this. And, and I'm seeing it rub off on other filmmakers when other filmmakers are coming back and saying, you know, I really like what Seth Breedlove does with the small town monsters. Like that's got to mean something to you to, to know that now you are influencing others.
1: Yeah. That's, that's weird. It's really weird. Because <laughs> like, like more than anything, that's probably the weirdest thing for me. But um, yeah, we, we, the, the art and stuff that goes um, into our films is, is, Extremely important. Like we we actually are planning on next year as as part of like next year's Kickstarter, the twenty twenty Kickstarter. That'll be the five year anniversary of Small Town Monsters, and um, I think the plan is to put together this like behind the scenes book, and a large portion of that will just be um, some of the undiscovered artwork and unreleased artwork and released artwork and and you know production sketches and stuff like that because that is such a huge piece of what we do um and I I you can't undersell the impact something like Sam Sheeran's posters has on our success you know I think people see his his posters and they automatically know it's a Small Town Monsters production um his the two that he's done for our 2020 or 2019 projects are two of my favorite uh posters that he's put out he did the uh the Momo poster is kind of a classic Sam Sheeran monster poster, but his Terror in the Skies poster is amazing because it, it kind of crams everything onto one image that, you know, that movie's going to focus on. Um, and I'm I'm really excited, you know, for, for people to, to get to own, like, an 11 by 17 print of those. People, That's that's one really cool thing we've noticed is, like, people will frame our posters and then they hang them, you know, like, in their in their basement or, or I, I know someone tagged me today who'd hung uh, a bunch of our posters in their office. Um, so that's, that's super cool. And you know, like we have, it, it doesn't just stop with like Sam Sheeran on the posters. Um, my wife actually created the, the, the Bray road beast official one sheet. Um, and she created the alternate poster for, the mothman of Point Pleasant. She's created alternate posters for a bunch of our titles, um, but her her Bray Road Beasts uh, poster is like one of my favorite movie posters. Period. Um, she did she did the actual artwork, and then Zach Palmisano, who is director of photography on my movies, he uh, did like the hand drawn lettering and stuff. And we've actually been told by like people in Hollywood that that our branding and the posters and all that kind of stuff are every bit as good as, as stuff that's going on at like major studios. And we're doing it, you know, for, we're managing to do it on like half the, you know, well way, way under half the, the money that those huge, huge studios have. So, um, but as far as like impact on other filmmakers, I mean, that's, that's really important. I hope, you know, my hope is like other filmmakers know to um would understand that like the the biggest thing, like our success isn't driven by any sort of um it's not driven by by a a um massive amount of time spent watching other paranormal content. Like we you know, like I, I think our our um our influences and stuff Filmically are, are actually probably outside of that paranormal world, and uh, and the amount, of, just the amount of work too that goes into it is is massive. But to hear people say something like, uh, you know, like they're influenced by our our work will never fail to weird me out. Just because it's <laughs> it's just so surreal to ha- to hear that from from anyone. Because I still think, I mean, I still think of us as like a, a group of buddies. You know doing something we all love to do and that's really that really is all it is like tonight we had a we actually had our first pre-production meeting tonight for Momo the Missouri Monster and you know it it is li- literally we're sitting in, in my in my kitchen and it's myself and uh, my wife and Adam and Zach and Jason and you know Zach and Jason I grew up with and we've been friends since we were kids and Adam is is a good friend, and uh, you know, and then there's my wife. So it's not like it's not like a boardroom is telling us what to do or any anything like that. You know, it's like it is it is as homegrown a crew as you can get when it comes to SDM. And there's there's tons of different facets to it, and all these different people that are contributing. But I think at the end of the day, like we all just really want to tell great stories, and we work extremely hard to to figure out how to do that, you know, with with all the constraints that we're under.
0: Well, you you mentioned the poster for Momo and uh I love the the description that you have in the one sheet is posted up on the uh the Facebook page and of course smalltownmonsters.com is the main site to find mm-hmm. everything, but you have a great line here where it says the documentary filmmaking of Small Town Monsters meets the drive-in horror stylings of 70 cinema. And that right there already has the goosebumps pulling up on my arms.
1: Oh, it's dude. Like I said, we had our first pre pro meeting tonight for it. And I've, this is, this is a story. And Adam can chime in here too, cause he's producing that one. But, um, I've, I've been wanting to tell the Momo story for, for, um, years, like going all the way back to Minerva monster. This was that particular story was one I wanted to retell. Um, but we were aware that there were going to be some serious obstacles to telling it. Um, you know, namely that, that there really aren't many original witnesses left. There aren't many people who want to talk about the story that live in the town and actually approaching it. Like one of our typical movies was going to be extremely difficult. And, and we have to be really cautious about the way we talk about this too. Um, just cause like it's, I, I don't. I don't want to give away stuff um, to, to as far as like how the approach is going to be. I really, I think people are going to see trailers for this. We we actually had this discussion tonight. I think when when the trailers start hitting for Momo, people are are probably going to be a little confused as to what the movie is, and then uh, when they sit down to watch it, it's going to be a shock to the system. I think in a lot of ways, but um, it is it is definitely. Uh, every every bit of the STM, you know, typical honest to goodness documentary, but mashed up with a a 1970s horror movie. Um, it's our first time to really delve into like narrative filmmaking, and um, I don't know. I haven't been. I I've I every movie. Obviously, we have to be excited about to make because uh, otherwise you wouldn't do it because it's so much work and you got to have a love for, for the subject you're covering. So, so this, don't take this as me degrading any of the other projects we've worked on, but this is honestly the most excited I've been about jumping into a story in in quite a while. Like I'm just very excited about having the opportunity to tell the story in the way that we're going to approach it. And, uh, Adam can probably hop in on there too.
2: No, I just think I think that I think that what's really interesting for me, I might have a bit of a unique perspective on this, just having been outside of STM for the first couple of years, and then being able to come in here on this is, you know, you've seen throughout the first STM films, kind of uh, the progression and the kind of the maturation of Seth as a filmmaker and as just the the the, the company as a as a whole. Um, and then, like Seth said, Momo presents some unique challenges in that, um, there are not a lot of people, um, either s- still around or that are, uh, willing to talk about, um, the events. And so, in order to make this something, um, because the story is unbelievable, it's such a cool story. And to be able to take that and keep, you know, what you might call like on brand with small town monsters and be able to still, tell this story, but tell it in a really unique way that it's going to be small town monsters, but it's going to be uniquely small town monsters in a way that uh, you know fans of STM haven't seen before. It, as, as someone who, it, who was a fan and is a fan to see this happening, um, it's something that I would have been thrilled with you know several years ago before be- becoming involved. And then like Seth said, mentioning, just kind of touching on the excitement piece, it's really, um, it's a really cool thing to be sitting around the table with everyone and just seeing the genuine excitement that this kind of thing brings. Um, you know, there's, a, there's like, a, there's a palpable kind of, a, kind of excitement there uh, for what's to come, and really excited to hear what people think about this. Like I said, it's going to be small town monsters. You know what that means. You know that it means good storytelling and. Um, You know, a a definite documentary side to things, but it's also going to be an evolution of what's what's been done before, partly by necessity, but partly because this is, I think, a natural step for SDM to take. So it's going to be exciting for sure.
0: Well, Adam, why don't you give us a little bit of an overview of the Momo story? Because I don't want people, you know, listening to the show to think you're talking about the picture of the lady with the weird eyes and the pointed nose. You know, (laughs) it's it's not the Momo (laughs) challenge. This is something completely different. Why don't you give everybody kind of an overview of, of that story?
2: Yeah, just to give a super broad overview, I mean, Momo is the Missouri monster, so it took took place back in the early uh, 70s in uh, a town called Louisiana, Missouri. Um, and, you know, there are pieces and parts of this story that are very traditional, what you would consider a, a, a Bigfoot story, um, you know, creature in the woods and sightings and some fairly terrifying moment, moments here and there and, uh, you know... Um, Large groups of people going searching for a monster in the woods and things like that, but like we mentioned earlier, there's also some high strangeness involved. There's some, you know, more or less disembodied voices and things like that are, that are just going to be really interesting um, to see put to put put on film and and told in, in a in a unique way. But I mean, like I said, just a very high level overview um, a, the traditional kind of the traditional kind of Bigfoot story, but combined with just some things that. Um, maybe don't pop up as often. Um, And, you know, the story is much bigger and deeper probably than what a lot of people realize, even if you do have, you think maybe you have an idea um, of what happened and kind of the scope of what happened. Um, I think it's bigger than that, and I think we're going to be able to show, um, show that and give people kind of a really unique perspective on, you know, on this story that I think is relatively... Well known within kind of the Bigfoot community, but probably not um, not as known or not as uh, most people don't know everything that kind of took place um you know back in the early to mid seventies uh, with the story so um it, it it's gonna it's gonna be good for sure, so just think uh, think Bigfoot but with it but with a twist, I guess
0: I love it, and I love the fact that. You know, with the small town monster series, it's been all over the place. You know, we're not dealing with just one corner of the world. We're not dealing just with, you know, just your own neck of the woods. We're dealing with stories that come from everywhere, and this comes from a great, a place with a great name.
1: Yeah, right. Louisiana, Missouri is is super confusing. Though (laughs) I I was I was wildly confused about the actual. That uh, this story was set in for for quite a while um, until until not that long ago, but yeah. But this is and this is. I mean, I I grew up in Ohio, so I'm I'm in the Midwest. So um, you know, like this is we're in the middle of telling the the Midwest trilogy with with um, that started with the Bray Road Beast and then is moving into Terror in the Skies and then we'll we'll wrap up with Momo. But, um, to get to actually play within the sandbox of the Midwest is kind of cool because it's introduced me to places I was totally unaware of. So, you know, like I'd never been to Elkhorn, Wisconsin, and that was a very unique town. And then to move from Elkhorn into Alton, Illinois and Lawndale, Illinois, and even Chicago, um, that was tr- truly, like, extremely eye-opening as far as, like, how drastically different various parts of, of the state of Illinois are. And then to get to work on um, m- the Missouri Monster and Louisiana, Missouri is going to be really something because I, I, I get the impression that it is sort of a, a deep south feeling, uh, despite the fact that I think a lot of us consider Missouri, you know, the Midwest.
0: Is there um, so you're saying that this is going to be the one that comes out later? That Terror in the Skies will actually come out before uh, the Momo movie.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Terror in the Skies is actually almost um, probably forty percent of the way done as far as editing is concerned. We actually shot it all the way back in September, um, and I've been working on it on and off while I was editing on the Trail of Bigfoot. And now that on the Trail of Bigfoot is wrapped up, I'm I'm full scale. Into working on Terra in the skies, so Terra in the skies will be out in uh, very early June, like the first week of June, and Momo will be out sometime in the fall, probably the first week of October or the final week of September. Um, but yeah, Terra in the skies is actually the next STM production.
0: And can you give us a little bit of the background of that story?
1: Yeah, I I I actually love this. Story and it's um I was I think I actually said to Adam it's uh it's probably the most Seth uh, movie that <laughs> that STM's made it's uh it, it draws on a lot of my influences um like my film influences especially like Steven Spielberg and and uh, Alfred Hitchcock and and things like that I I would have a hard time I I think of our Bray Road Beast movie as being very very much a horror film and this is very much not a horror film. I, I think it's much more of like a mystery or an adventure um, with some truly like gorgeous cinematography. Um, you'll see actually the trailer for this drops on Tuesday um, and it'll debut on bloody disgusting. And then it'll move over to all the other websites on Thursday, the same day as the Kickstarter launch. But Um, the, the first trailer for this is unlike any trailer we've cut before. And I think people are, are going to get kind of a, a sense of what we're doing with the film. And it's going to be, it's going to be really cool because it's completely different from what we did with the Bray Road beast. And it's going to be completely different from what we do with Momo, the Missouri monster. Um, so you're really going to get this this very bizarre change in tone from, Mm -hmm throughout the course of the Monsters of the Midwest trilogy, where you get this sort of very modern-feeling horror movie with Railroad Beast and then this sort of adventure, mystery, um, almost romanticized view of the Midwest with Terror in the Skies and then wrapping up with Momo, which is a throwback to to 1970s drive-in horror movies. Um, But yeah, Terror in the Skies is a... um, sort of an in-depth look at the winged cryptid phenomenon, uh, particularly like focused on the state of Illinois, um, beginning with the payasa bird legend, uh, in Alton, Illinois, the, the, for the uninitiated, the, which I was, I was actually one of the (laughs) uninitiated till, until September. Uh, the payasa was this, this legend, um, Outside of Alton, Illinois, there used to be a painting on a bluff overlooking the Mississippi River of this large-winged creature. Um, and the legend went that, that the uh, Native Americans in the area used to be sort of haunted by this giant, monstrous bird. And um, to appease it, they would actually have to feed it, uh, um, uh, give it a sacrifice um, basically like a human sacrifice every year and finally one of the chiefs uh, was fed up with that tradition and he went to uh, find the bird and kill it and um, to this day uh, the payasa still is is a big deal in Alton illinois um, they have a whole there's there's a mural of it that is on the side of one of the bluffs It is not the original mural. The original mural was actually destroyed, and then uh, it was remade in, like, the 1930s, and then that version was also destroyed. Uh, And there's a whole new mural uh, in Alton. But uh, the story, Alton's uh, sort of history of winged cryptids doesn't end with a payasa, because in the 1940s, they had a um, sort of a, uh, what they call a flap, uh, no pun intended, of uh, giant Thunderbird sightings that happened around Alton, Illinois during a uh, one- or two-week period in April of 1948. Um, And then the um, movie will actually move up to Lawndale and tell the story of the Lawndale uh, attempted abduction story, wherein a large-winged cryptid actually picked up a, a young boy and tried to fly off with him uh we also have two witnesses one of which was a uh a, a really skilled outdoorsman who saw a giant uh bird with a 20 foot wingspan in a field um, and another guy who saw something in his car uh and then and then it moves on to Chicago and you'll learn about the Chicago Mothman or Chicago Phantom however you want to put that um sightings that have happened more recently um so it's a it's really like an induction into the entire uh, subject of of you know giant birds and pterosaurs and and the mothman itself uh, within the state of Illinois. Um, it's the the uh, lineup of people we have in it, like that we interviewed for this one is really cool too. We had um Lauren Coleman as our central character. Um, because he actually grew up in Illinois. So we flew Lauren out to Illinois and he was with us, uh, for the filming. Um, so our, our main characters are Lauren Coleman and Troy Taylor. Um, Troy is known more as like a ghost hunter, but, um, he, he also has a fascination with cryptids and, uh, he had written a little bit about the Lawndale stuff. So, so, um, we interviewed Troy, um, so Troy Taylor, Lauren Coleman, Chad Lewis, uh, who did the the Van Meter Visitor book, uh, Kevin Nelson, who's been involved with a lot of Chad's research and is working on a Big Money Monster book. Actually, uh, they're both in the documentary. Allison Jornland is in it. Uh, Tobias Wayland. Um, you know, some witnesses, Ken Gerhard is in there. It's, it's, it's a really cool lineup of, of investigators. And then obviously we have some great witnesses as well, but the story is really sprawling. And, and, uh, I'm really excited too about the, like introducing viewers, I guess, to the geography and the terrain of the state of Illinois. Cause it's super bizarre. Like you almost have three States in one state. You've got Southern Illinois, which is a lot like the the south, they actually call it Little Egypt, which I never knew. Um, so, And then we move up to central Illinois, which is kind of your classic Illinois. It's flat, boring pasture land where you can see endless endless cornfield off to the horizon. Uh, and then northern Illinois is focused very heavily on this sort of industrial sprawl of of Chicago uh, and Lake Michigan. So it's it's... I, it's unlike anything we've done uh, thus far, but I, I sometimes feel like we—I could say that about every title we make. We're always trying to, you know, to approach things from a different perspective and, and bring new storytelling uh, techniques to the to the stories we're telling. And this one, um, like I said, I feel like this is the most uh, me <laughs> that one of our movies has been.
0: Well, and Adam, that must be exciting for you to hear because, you know, a lot of filmmakers could have the success that Seth has had with the early small town monsters movies and just say, okay, I just got to keep cranking out the same format for all these different legends. But, but Adam, to hear Seth talk about wanting to always have these have different, you know, just a different feel, a different approach, a different technique in each one, it must make you excited to work alongside with him.
2: Yeah, no, it's really cool. And admittedly, like, I haven't been a. Huge part of of terror, only because you know I've kind of been focused a bit more on the Momo side of things. But what is interesting is to see Seth kind of um, explore kind of his creativity a little bit. I think, and one thing specifically that you know, talking about the terror trailer that I've I've had the, the privilege of looking at a, a little early is that I would almost and Seth made made. Have a different idea, but there's a certain almost like whimsical nature to it a little bit. He's nodding his head, so that means I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> um, I, it, but there is there's there's a there's something there's something different um, about it, um, and and I've purposely kind of stayed a bit away from knowing the the, the story so much, um, just because again going back to what I said earlier, like I'm a fan of small town monsters, and this is a really cool. Thing for me to kind of be working on a project alongside Seth while he's doing some other things, um, and be able to just see bits and pieces of these, and then as as a fan of of SDM, just uh, you know, kind of get a sneak peek at these enough to make me excited about it. But back to your point, it is really cool to see Seth kind of take a different approach to these to these movies and, and look at look at things a bit differently, and then even you know ex, you know ex, like he's done some different things with. Invasion and um, you know flatwoods and things like that, but I think even like the whole idea of thunderbirds is even another kind of uh, arm off of this this kind of cryptid world. You know, a lot of times I make the mistake of really looking at Bigfoot and really looking at that and just the very small offshoots of that, um, but to see really branching out into into. Um, into the kind of the the thunderbird realm and the and the you know that area i think is really really interesting um and it, my personal opinion anyway and i tend to be more interested more interested in the things that i think are potential are, are more likely um i think other than like the idea of a of a giant north American ape i think a giant bird um, is is certainly like i mean i think that that's well within the realm of of possibility and reality which makes it more exciting to me because I think ultimately i 'm still uh, a little boy who just wants to believe that there are unknown things out there and monsters in the woods and in the sky and whatever else. And, you know, there's that sense of adventure. And I think this movie in particular really conveys that, which I think is going to be really cool.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, just piggybacking off that real quick, like one of the, one of the reasons we do this, like rather than like we could. We could hit on, we could have hit on like the format that The Mothman of Point Pleasant, cause that's our, that's been our biggest success. Um, we could have hit on that format where it was, you know, very, very much like a ground level story that had probably more animation, um, or at least more extended animation than any movie we've made since. And it had, had very detailed, very extended recreations. And then we had the timeline and all these things. We could have really just, sort of echoed that over and over again. Um, but I think we would all get so bored. Um, <laughs> so, cause we're, you know, we put out two movies a year and uh, so for, for our animators and for myself and for Brandon doing the music, like you, you just have to keep things constantly evolving and changing. So you don't, you know, just feel like you're spinning your tires or something like that. And we do, you know, the movies do follow a similar, Story structure, you know, there's the there's the opening is always introduction of the town, and the closing is how was the town impacted. Um, but other than that, we we always feel like we can pretty much change up everything else within within those you know the films that we're making.
0: Sure, cause each, each legend is gonna be its own character. It's gonna have its own feel, it's gonna have its own tone. So you need to be able to, to be malleable to be able to make sure that the film is representing that as best that it can. Instead of trying to take a legend and sandwich it into some sort of format that you've already gone into it, uh, you know, kind of already with the idea of having to shoehorn everything into that format.
1: Yeah, I mean, like the, the Flatwoods monster film is always the one I go back to with that because like, You know, like we, we wanted that film to feel like an old 19, late 1940s, early 1950s sci-fi movie. And that was because of the fact that that case took place in, in 1952. It was clearly at a time when, you know, America was very involved in the, in the space race and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, we wanted it to echo you know, the the feel of the time and, and the pop culture of the time. And um, so every, yeah, every every film has its own personality, just like every legend has its own personality.
0: And I do find it very interesting that when people are, you know, hearing about these, some of these stories they are hearing for the first time by seeing your films, but they're able to immediately start placing them in kind of the, the grander narrative of all of this. And, you don't really you know you don't really try to blow up the the individual legends and and make them fit a larger picture you let people kind of put those pieces together on your own on their own but people are starting to do that they're starting to say oh yeah say, and
1: and actually i mean i totally think you that that opportunity is there for someone um i mean preferably it's me but you know like for for there to be a larger narrative that these are all fitting within i mean that's that, that's actually we we've been um in pre-production or not, I don't even think you can call it pre-production. We've been in the concept stages on a, on an, on a small town monsters, original series with the Hollywood production company for the last like six months now. And, you know, the entire push behind that was to try to figure out a way to tell these stories, but to fit them into a sort of larger narrative that would ex- expand on, on a, you know, a particular uh, theory or, concept within the paranormal realm if that makes any sense so you know like so you tell high strangeness stories um but each one sort of melds into the next and and further unravels the different threads of of that high strangeness you know subject um but within the context obviously of like small town monsters uh legends
0: no i love that i love when we can start to put together the individual trees and see the larger forest. And I I mean, I don't know if you've had a chance to catch uh, hellier yet, but they did a lot of that same idea of, you know, just trying to see like, what are the connections here between these different stories? And I think oddly enough, as much as people have gone out and researched these stories and investigated these stories and tried to find as much of the actual factual information as they could about them, it takes somebody coming in with a documentary eye documentary and I to be able to come in and and start putting all those pieces together because sometimes people are so wrapped up in the individual legend that they can't really see how it ties into other legends.
1: Oh yeah, and and I mean that that kind of that can you know run the run the gamut of, of subjects within the you know the cryptid and and paranormal and ufological worlds. And there there are weird like connecting points between all these subjects for sure like and and that's one of the things i've always found so so fascinating about places like Skinwalker Ranch or the Chestnut Ridge where all of a sudden you've got a you've got a location where a geographical location where all of a sudden all of those you know disparate threads are suddenly pulled together in one location where they seem to intermingle on a weird level like that's one of the strangest aspects of of like skinwalker or chestnut but it's also it's also what i really love about those stories so much
0: well that's i mean i think we've seen enough of the proof over the years that there is something to these stories we've seen enough of the i don't want to say the the believable side of things because I'd like to really be able to believe everybody or at least take them in face value but we've seen more and more of the stories that are just hard to dismiss pop up with a lot of these and the more that we're seeing those and the more that they're presented in, in long form format like you're doing the easier it is for people to start accepting the possibilities and it's not just about sending out you know throngs of other now uh, amateur monster hunters that are going to go out there and research these things and spend time out in the woods themselves it's about getting the everyday person who sees one of these films and then comes back and says, "Well, I think I might have seen something like that." You know, they're the ones that are really going to keep these legends going forward more so. No offense, Adam, than researchers like us that are out there in the field doing work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead, it's it's the regular everyday people that are having the experiences and sharing them with other people.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that that's actually a big a big part of the the, the whole thing for me is that. I feel like people are so cynical and jaded about things. And there is this, there is this, uh, general sort of feeling, I think, uh, amongst people that we've discovered everything. There's nothing left to discover here on earth. Um, you know, we know everything and, um, hopefully, you know things like small town monsters movies will will open open the eyes of of people to you know at least looking into these subjects. um and if and even if it's not that, you know hopefully they'll just appreciate the stories for what they are. Um, and hopefully that keeps them you know alive t- to an extent because because a large part of what we do is capturing folklore or folktales, you know, in a bottle and, and hopefully future generations can enjoy, uh, the legend, you know, as it's told by us. I mean, it's
0: always,
1: it's always been weird for me to talk about, um, the, like the, the, the documenting of history aspect of what we do because it sounds, it makes it sound so lofty and I don't, I don't have that impression of what we're doing, but, you know like at 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 the end of the day, I do feel like what at least there is a small part of that uh documenting of history that that we are uh definitely doing on some of these stories I mean, like you know in the case of the flatwoods monster we we got the final interview that Fred may will ever give we got the only interview that Ed May will ever give, and that hopefully is a time capsule for people you know that they can look back over the years and say um." you know as as that story continues especially as that story continues to evolve into a legend they can look back to what the actual witnesses said in our film and you know have a have a, a little bit of an insight into how that legend was actually born um and maybe you know that that is a weird thing about that movie too is that movie is strangely meta uh, <laughs> uh but yeah there's there's a little bit of that time capsule element to what we're doing. Hopefully people uh, understand that over time. I don't know that they will now, but hopefully over time, you know, our movies will age well enough that people will revisit them and see them more as a time capsule than anything.
2: I think looking back to, like, it, I I became involved and developed a just a love for for this stuff from my dad, uh, you know, and, and he passed on stories to me and I'm sure that that's happened a million times over across the country, across the world. And I think it, I don't think you can under, uh, undersell kind of the importance of what, what that part of small town monsters is. It is preserving stories. Cause I mean, wh- what a shame it would be to have all of this and to have all of these great stories, whether or not you take them as fact, whether or not you even entertain the idea that there's a possibility out there. It's, it's adventure, and it's it's fun, and it's, it, it keeps you thinking, and it's exciting. And for those to just die off, you know, with the people who experience them, would be such a shame. And I think that it is a big part, and I think it's a very kind of um, – I think it's an important part of what Small Town Monsters is doing, what Seth has started, and what he's doing is preserving these stories so there can be generations after generations after generations to enjoy them and to – And to get the same joy, I think that a lot of us have gotten out of them, you know, growing up and obviously still get out of them to this day.
0: You know, we we talk about filmmaking as an art, and as much as it is an art, it's also, you know, now our modern day campfires that we're all sitting around and sharing stories. Instead of sitting around an actual fire, we're sitting around a 50-inch flat screen. So it's really just, it's the same idea. It's sharing these stories and legends and keeping them in the conversation.
1: Well it's inter- it's interesting you said that cuz like Adam and I were talking cuz Adam's a writer and and you know works on his his website and tells stories that way and I was I was a writer and I mean I I guess I I consider myself still a bit of a writer even though I've I find it more frustrating these days than anything but um like Adam and I had this discussion yesterday at the office about the, the fact that like in a way filmmaking is just another form of writing. I mean, it's, it's visual, it's like visual writing. I mean, it's all storytelling, but you know, like the, it's, a, a, it really is just figuring out the best possible way to tell a story that utilizes your particular talent. And, um, I don't believe I have any great deal of talent i've always said i believe i have a like some sort of weird like there's there's something wrong in my head that i'm too dumb to quit so like so like i'll just press forward on something despite you know despite the the fact that i probably should have quit years ago um so you know like the this is hopefully going to prove to be the 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 you know, the strong, the, the reason I'm able to keep doing this is because I'm too dumb to quit. And over time, I teach myself better ways <laughs> of doing what I'm doing. But I mean, it is, it's all, it's all storytelling. And, and, um, you know, like I utilize a lot of the, the stuff that I learned while I was writing for newspapers. Um, I utilize a lot of those storytelling techniques in, um, in filmmaking and especially like uh, boiling a story down to its core elements. Like that is something that constantly, I constantly have to turn to is like, well, if I was writing for the newspaper, I had like, you know, four to 600 words to tell a story. And, you know, like what is the best way to do that? What are the absolute um key elements of that story that should go in, in there, you know, and make sure that, that it's, told to the to the best of my abilities and that that constantly comes up in our films is like how do I boil this
0: down to the essentials well you might be humble about it but I will say I knew from the first from the Minerva monster movie that uh, we we had somebody special here and uh, so thank you for you know fighting through those feelings of doubt and keep going because uh, you've been turning out some great quality stuff which everybody in the chat room has been saying they're all Gonna go check out as soon as this episode is over, which will just be in a few minutes. But before we go, we want to let everybody know, uh, when the Kickstarter is starting, because it's actually kicking off this week.
1: Yeah, it kicks off on Thursday night, uh, 7pm Eastern Time. We'll hit the launch button. Um, and then we do, we do like a Facebook live, uh, Kickstarter launch party. So if you're a backer or even if you're not and you just want to talk to us live, uh, we'll like pretty much the whole crew comes over and we sit down in front of the computer and we do this like two or three hour long Facebook live Q and a, um, so the, but yeah, the Kickstarter itself launches at at 7 PM Eastern time on Thursday, the 7th, and then it runs through March 9th. So, and like I said, we have tons of like cool stuff that's in this year's Kickstarter. There's posters and DVDs. There's a, uh, one of my favorite things is a retro lobby card set. So it's, it's, a it's like an old 19, 1970s film lobby card, you know, like you would find in, in an actual movie theater in the 70s. We're we're doing a Momo lobby card set. So it'll be like a, a still frame from the movie and a really cool, like, border around it. And we're going to do a whole set of those as one of the rewards. Uh, there's, there's a Momo t-shirt. There's a Small Town Monsters hat. Um, there's a statue of Momo designed by Gene Saint Jean. There's a Mothman sticker. There's all kinds of stuff. It's going to be. It's. I think that it. It's by far my favorite Kickstarter we've put together.
0: And so that'll be on Thursday at seven o'clock. People can check that out by going to smalltownmonsters.com.
1: Yeah, I mean the the best place to to see the link as soon as it goes live is just going to be through our social media. Um, but my wife will pop it up on the on the on the website too as soon as it goes live. So yeah, pretty much anywhere that we are on the web, you'll you'll probably see us posting links as soon as it goes live.
0: And why don't we, uh, in the final few moments that we have, let everybody know all the places where they can find each one of you?
2: Yeah, so um, uh, I am mainly on Instagram as far as small town monster uh, monsters presence goes, and that's Adam. Uh, underscore small, underscore town, underscore monsters, just because I wanted to make that as complicated as possible. (laughs) Um, And then um, I do all of my writing on my site called searchthewoods.com, and that's just going to be general thoughts on the whole the whole uh, idea of Bigfoot and it, I try to take a common sense approach to it and I love to have discussions there as well. So people can, uh, people can check that out. So Instagram and search the woods.com would be uh,
1: where you can find me. Um, our movies and stuff are available on most streaming platforms other than like Netflix and Hulu. So you can find them on iTunes, Google play, Amazon, the Vimeo on demand, vidispace, um PlayStation store, Xbox store, all that kind of stuff. Um and then DVDs are available through shop um let me think shop.smalltownmonsters.com. Um and you can read and learn more about us on smalltownmonsters.com or find and follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Uh oh and we do we actually do a Small Town Monsters podcast that is called Monsteropolis. And that's out there somewhere. That's floating in the ether somewhere.
0: <laughs> well, great stuff, guys. Thank you so much for joining us and for keeping us up to date with everything going on, in Small Town Monsters. And uh, and maybe we'll revisit everything too when the release dates get closer. It's been a while since we've had Lauren Coleman on, so maybe it's time we get him back, come back on. And it sounds yeah. like uh, it'll be right in the mix of Red Sox season when the when the film drops. So you know, I'm sure he'd love to come on and talk some baseball too.
1: Yeah, man. Hey, get feeling better.
0: Oh, I f- I feel great. Trust me, I sound way better than I actually feel. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys, for putting up with my voice all yeah. night.
2: Thanks for talking to us, man. All right, take care. Enjoy have it. a
0: great night. That is Seth Breedlove and Adam Dugan from Small Town Monsters. And again, Thursday night seven o'clock. Get involved with the Kickstarter. Really, I've, I've been looking at some of the uh, some of the stuff that they have listed on the on the Facebook page for the Kickstarter, and those lobby cards look amazing. You know, anybody that's a fan of the Small Town Monsters brand, you know that their logo is really cool, so if you can get a hat with that on it, it's definitely worth the investment into the Kickstarter, and really, you want to be a part of this because you want to keep these stories out there. You want to keep them being told, and that's what we do here. You know, we try to keep these stories, keep these subjects in the limelight, try to keep them in the conversation. When people are talking about paranormal topics, we want to make sure that we keep stories just as much from historical value, as we do some of the new reports that are out there as well. Next week, we're going to talk about some of those with UFO sightings. We'll talk about some older sightings. We'll talk about some newer things and what it all means with Dr. Irina Scott. We'll also be joined briefly next week by Jamie and Val from the X-Files Unite conference. We'll find out more about that. Then coming up later on in the month, we'll be talking Hawaiian legends and lore, some of the mysterious stories from the islands of Hawaii, and then... We'll be talking with Kimberly Don later on in the month about her work, not only as a, as a medium, but also how she tries to help spirits move on and how she can come and help move spirits from, remove spirits from your home. And those of you who listen to the show know I have some thoughts on that. So I'm sure we'll get into some of that as well coming up with her. And then just later on in the spring, we've got so many great shows coming up. We're going to be talking about the Pascagoula UFO Abduction. We're going to talk, be talking about the Anunnaki. We're going to be talking about some real-life demonic cases. So we're trying to keep things as weird as we can here in the 13th year of Spooky South Coast. We don't rest on our laurels just like Seth Breedlove does it. We always try to find a way to kind of reinvent things. We're going to keep doing that throughout the course of 2019. Hopefully, you'll come along with us each week for the ride. Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com is the way to find us. Until next week, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, I'm Tim. Stay spooktacular.